All right, all right, all right. Good job. Way to, way to chat it up. That was good. Good energy. Um, <laughs> I'm serious. I didn't have coffee today, so I love the energy. How are we doing, though? We're doing all right. All right. So today you're going to get a lot of sports, okay? Because I know, I know. Boo. <laughs> there's this, there's this. <laughs> All right, I'm coaching youth sports, and I'm referencing it a few times today. But when we at practice, sometimes when kids are flat, and the coach goes, how are we feeling? Feeling fired up, coach. Feeling fired up, feeling fired up. So how are we doing today? <laughs> yes, oh, man, that's, that's good. That's good. Man, all right. We're gonna, man, it's going to be a good day. Anyways, good afternoon, church. If we haven't met, I'm Rashad, one of the pastors here. Um, and so glad that you're here, if you're new. And um, if you're not new, good to see your faces again. Uh, we are going to continue our sermon series in the Psalms of Ascent. And our prayer in these short psalms is that they would be, um, they'd become your prayers and your songs. And um, they'd take part of your meditation with the Lord during this season. And so today we're in Psalm 131, if you got a handout when you came in, that super short psalm is right on the page, and I'm going to read it for us as we get into the text. A song of ascents of David. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not content, concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, like I said, I'm really... Sports not the only thing I'm into, but this is a great time for sports right now, okay? Um, baseball's ending and other sports are coming in, Okay. Um, and so I watch, I play, I coach, and um, like I said, I have the privilege of coaching these kids in the heart of our city here in Dorchester, and which includes my own two sons. And uh, often after practice, I'm in the car with my sons, and they ask for feedback, you know, like, hey, pops, how would I do today? What do I need to work on? How do I, how do I get better at tackling? Um, how's my blocking looking? How can I get the attention of, of the other coaches? And... Um, before I give any technical advice, I tell my sons this one phrase, your heart has to be all the way in it. And I said, coach is looking for your heart. Coach is looking for players with heart. And this is, as we read this Psalm of David, this is what sets David apart. This is why people love reading about David. This is why people love meditating on his, on his psalms because he has heart. He expresses his heart and God could always find David's heart. You with me? All right. The first two words of verse one, my heart. This is what set the tone for the whole psalm. This is what this psalm is all about, the heart. And really when we gather here every Sunday or at, at our homes or around tables to meditate on God's word, to recite liturgy, to take the Lord's Supper, we are examining and recentering our hearts with the Lord. 
Oftentimes we read God's word and we're like, oh man, I'm so far from that. And we're like, God, I want to get to that. And it does something to our hearts. This word heart, one commentator says this, for us, the heart metaphorically refers to emotions, passion, or impulse. The Hebrew concept encompasses some of that, but moves more toward the seat of will, deliberation, choice, determination, and even reason. In a sense, the heart, pay attention to this, supercharges human drives by summoning all the human faculties to action. So like when your heart's in it, you feel it all the way through your body, right? You feel it with everything. When my heart's in something, you know it. Because you can tell, you can feel it. It's intangible. Like your heart's in it and your heart pushes everything in you in that direction to what it's for. So what does David say about his heart? David says his heart is not proud. He goes on to say his eyes are not haughty. His eyes are not high. His eyes are not lofty. His eyes are not arrogant. Jesus says about the eyes in Matthew 6, 22, the eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Jesus, David says his eyes are not proud. His eyes are not arrogant. And so his heart and his body in reflection of that are not arrogant. They're not proud. David is talking about the condition of his heart. Why? Because the condition of your heart will determine how you relate to God. Because what's important to you will shape and direct your desires and pursuits. Does that make sense? If, if you love food, as I do, <laughs> if it has your heart, as it does mine, um, you will often make pit stops that are inconvenient to, to grab such food. You will do things out of the ordinary. You will think about it. You will wake up in the morning and think and prepare food. You will go out of your way to shop and find the best things because food has your heart and you pursue it and everything follows along with it. What's important to you, Jesus, is where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. And, Jesus, and David says, a proud and a lifted heart is what God opposes. So every once in a while, there's a couple occasions where it says, my heart is lifted, Lord, and, and it's positive. In every other sense, a lifted heart is negative, right? You go, oh, man, proud is not a bad word. Like, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of that. The proud here that David's talking about is pride. One commentator says this, it refers to a ruler or wealthy person who, has, who is overtaken with confidence that they are indestructible that they are beyond reproach. I think we ought to be careful not to confuse God's glory with our accomplishments. A commentator says this, the proud person looks, compares, competes, and is even and is never content. He plans and schemes in his heart as to how he can outdo and outperform. This is the kind of pride that David's talking about. Pride will tell us, I did this. Pride will tell us, I deserve this. I'm better than them. I'm above them. And if we're not careful, pride will make our hearts impenetrable. James says, God opposes the proud. 
I believe it's because the proud have opposed God. Pride says, I don't need God. Pride says, I can do this on my own. Pride says, I'd rather work outside the limits of someone else's authority. Pride says, I, I kind of want to be my own God. I kind of want to be autonomous. David says his life has not been a pursuit of selfish, ambitious endeavors, nor has his life been a life filled with proud ambition. And I know you hear this and you go, man, this guy sounds perfect. He never struggles. It's not that David didn't battle with ambition. Sure, people praised him down the streets. It's just that he didn't let, it, he didn't let pride make a home in his heart. Are you with me? In ESV, David says in verse 1 of our, of our passage, he says, Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high, and I do not occupy myself with things too great, too marvelous for me. He does not occupy himself. You know what David does? You know what makes David a man after God's own heart, a, a person after God's own heart? Because David tends to his heart. David takes inventory of his heart. He never lets anything sit in there too long that pushes himself against God, that hardens his heart, that brings callous and hardness against God. Eugene Peterson says this, Psalm 131 is a maintenance psalm. It's a functional, it is functional to the person of faith as pruning is functional to the gardener. It gets rid of that which looks good to those who don't know any better and reduces the distance between our hearts and their roots in God. And if you want that, it's going to be on the website. So I know super long. All right. Um, we tend to our hearts. When we tend to our hearts, when we draw close to God, God often revealed, man, how far we are from him, how hard our hearts are from him, how we miss the mark, but also how much he loves us in spite of all that. The opposite of pride and selfish ambition is humility. David is talking about humility when he talks about his heart. He also pins Psalm 18, and he says in verse 27, you save the humble, but you, bring though, but you bring low those whose eyes are haughty. And this is when David was on the run from Saul. When we are brought low, it's to meet with God. God doesn't humble you. God doesn't call you to humility to shame you. God calls you to humility so you can follow him, so he can raise you up. Last sports story. In sports, in football camp, we, um, kids that come in that think they know everything, we give them a hard time. We give, we give them a little more challenging playbook, harder routes, make them run a little bit harder. And it's not to humiliate them, it's to break them down to make them coachable. And when a, once a kid becomes coachable, then you can actually unlock the great things what's inside of them. God doesn't bring us to a place of humbleness and humiliation and, and, humbleness and humiliation to humiliate us but to raise us up and to form us and to work through us micah 6 8 says he has shown you O mortal what is good and what does the lord require of you to act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your god walk humbly with god now i'm gonna be honest even when we hear this when we hear walk humbly with god it sounds really good in church 
Sounds really good to read that in the Bible. Oh yeah, yeah, walk humbly. And um, I, I, if I'm honest, like I want humility on my own terms. Right, I, I want to choose how I want to be humbled. I don't want to be humbled under someone else's terms. Anybody agree with that? The one person in the back, okay. Because face it, we don't actually really want to be brought low, right? Most of us come in the morning and say, God, take me to higher heights, new levels, Lord, take me there, right? We're not like saying, God, bring me down. God, take me down to the level of Jesus who didn't consider being God worth attaining for, but he clothed himself as a servant. We, we don't say that God make me a servant. God make me humble. God take pride out of my heart. Like we, like in our culture, there's a saying, like, oh man, they eating humble pie, right? <laughs> That's a form of shame. It's like, it's like no one's bragging and saying, man, this humble pie is great. This humble pie is blessing me. So, do you want a slice? <laughs> Nobody says that. David was a powerful king. He was a young, he became king at a young age. He was given a kingdom. They sung songs about him. And at the same time, he experienced betrayal, abandonment, death threats, the loss of all things. And here's the thing about David. He never lost heart. Commentator says this, the goal is never to deny or destroy our desires for we are made to consume life. Rather, the goal is to redirect our desires to the one we are most designed to be with. Redirecting our desires. That's what we're here. We're here in church. We're trying to be formed into the image of Jesus. We're redirecting these longings and these desires to the one who created us. And when we're in here, we go, yeah, God, redirect my desires. And then we walk outside and we see everybody getting what they want. God, why is everybody getting what they want? And why is my life in a holding pattern? Why is my life going backwards, God? It's hard for our hearts and minds to not spiral into a negative space and to, to spiral out of control when things aren't going the way that we thought they would in life. And David knows this street often, and he doesn't dive, take this deep dive into figuring out how can he manipulate God, how can he get God to do what he wants. He says this in verse 2, I've calmed and quieted myself. David has been in the high highs and the low lows, and what he's done most beautifully is he's found contentment. He also pins Psalm 37, he says this, Listen to this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. This is, this is an encouragement for someone. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still, my soul. Not just get a calm app, which is fine, but be still before the Lord. Take your, your fretting and your anxiety and your worrying about the future and what's happening around you and sit still before the Lord. Why? Because he's God. See, we need contentment. 
But contentment is not found away from God. Contentment is found within God's presence. So when he says, I calmed and quieted myself, he means I, I smoothed myself, like I flattened myself. When he says he's quieted, I hushed myself. David is speaking to himself, and he's, he's practicing how to get calm and quiet before the Lord and not let what's happening around him be the narrative and be the thing that drives his heart and his reactions. You with me? He used two verbs, smoothed down and hushed. It implies and suggests length and difficulty of the process. I know sometimes you hear from Christian experts up front, they make it sound so easy. And you, until you go through a crisis and you go, that doesn't work. <laughs> this, is, this is a process of calming and sitting quiet before the Lord. Have you ever had to calm a child down? Have you ever had to calm a baby down? Have you ever had to calm an adult down? Let's, let's, let's go there. And often when you're trying to calm a child down or an adult, you, you, know, you try to get their attention. You try to embrace them and say, you're going to be all right. You're going to be okay. Breathe. Calm down. You, you're not dead. You're still alive. There's still oxygen. And you, and you, you calm and, and you smooth them. You just, you just need to rest right now. And this is what David does within himself. And when he calms and quiets himself, this is what one commentator says. It is to put oneself in the right situation to receive grace. See, when we're calm, when we're quiet, when, we still, when we're still, we can hear God say, I'm with you. When we're calm and we're quiet and we're still and, and news articles and electric bills are not dominating our imagination and God begins to come into our imagination and goes, hey, I'm here. Hey, remember my, my track record? Yeah, that's, that's, it's still there. It's going to be okay. Do you trust me? I think that's the question. Like, do you trust me? When I flail all over the place like a baby... And I do that, people, because there's a moment where I just don't trust God that he's going to come through like he said he would. Can you trust God when you are denied what you feel is most important for your life? The second half of verse 2, he says, I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. One commentator says, says this, for a child is not weaned without much pain and strife. That familiar process is commonly a child's first serious experience of loss, of a pain that cannot be soothed, of a desire that cannot be gratified. Here it's met its earliest demands for self-denial and self-control. And I know for many of us, we're like, poor baby, just give him some milk. They've never been denied anything in their lives. They've never been told no. And there's sometimes in our lives that we're walking with Jesus long enough that he starts to say no. He starts to say not yet, not that. This life of following Jesus, God will challenge some things that we feel that are extremely essential for our lives and say no. Or not yet, or have something else for you. Weaning isn't easy. One commentator says it's a troublesome process. Thank you, Mr. Commentator. <laughs> All the parents are saying yes. It's a troublesome process. 
Because the weaning has to do with maturity. David says, I've gotten to a point where I can be content as long as I have God. He can have, he can enjoy contentment in the absence of what was once considered indispensable. What are the things that you consider indispensable in your life? What are the things that you can't imagine living without? What do you do to steal your soul when the torrents of life are swirling around your soul, body, and mind? This is, this is why we pause. This is why we practice silence. This is why we pursue God's presence. This is why we worship. This is why we read the scriptures every Sunday to let God speak to our storm. So we'll be reminded that, man, though things may be topsy-turvy, that Jesus is right there in the ship laying in the pillow, and he has the, the power to, to, to quiet and quell the storms. Sometimes when God says no, or not yet, or maybe later, or have something else, is because he wants to do something greater with inside of our own hearts. God allows us to wait over and over again to wean us. This is, as you might have heard in the church, the discipleship process. And he's not trying to make us little foot soldiers. He's just trying to animate our hearts and fix it towards him and be dependent on him and not on ourselves, and not on anything else other than him. Are you with me? Jesus says in eight, Matthew 18, 4, says, Therefore, take whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, unless you take the posture of a child, we cannot enter the kingdom and what he means is there's a, there's this, there's a humility, there, there's an openness, there's an earnestness, there's a desire to just be what your parent. But there's, there's no agenda, there's no like, what can I get? All right, hurry up, what's the next thing? Can I play with, can I watch Netflix now? No, can I, can I just be? Like the picture of a weaned child, no wanting, just embraced by the parents. Jesus says that, that posture will get you the kingdom. Church, God, I know the, the word parent can mean something for many of us. But when I say God wants to parent you, I'm thinking about the best version that you've ever seen as an example in the world and beyond that by infinity. That God wants to parent you. He doesn't want to shame you. He doesn't look to see what you've earned in the world to merit his favor and his love. He just says, I love you. And sometimes when our hearts are hard and our, our pride and we're whining that we don't even allow God to embrace us. We don't let God in. Hosea, God says this to the people of God who were constantly turning from him and rejecting them. He says, to them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. I bent down to feed them. And I think the question is, will you give God your heart? Will you open your arms? Will you humble yourself? Because the goal is God. It's not some spiritual resume. It's not whatever accolades you think. The goal is God. And 
God gives grace to the humble. God gives himself to those who humble themselves. David resolves not to get bent over shape on things that he wants, that he doesn't have, or things that he has no control over or beyond his comprehension. And to get to this point, this, it takes trust. David ends in verse 3, he says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. We sing the song, my hope is built on nothing less. Jesus' blood and righteousness. This discipline takes practice. Because you might, right now, this moment, you go, man, God, my hope, man, is right here. It was right here, and now it's right here. And then you might walk out and be like, my hope is down there. And we have to continually practice and remind ourselves to trust in God, to put our hope in God, both now and forevermore. Listen, there's a lot of moments where you'll be tempted to believe or create an outcome in your hearts and minds. When things happen, we, our imagination begins to create worlds of how it's going to play out and how God might even be absent in the future. There's times where we're going to experience hope is lost. And just to bring it back full circle, the people of God just got out of exile. They're rebuilding their lives. And I guarantee in the process of rebuilding, they're coming to moments where they're wondering, is this even possible? Can we even rebuild this? Will God even show up when we rebuild the temple? Will his spirit come? Will he protect us from our enemies? When David says, put your hope in the Lord. In other words, don't lose heart. Don't lose your heart. Give God your heart over and over again. Trust in him is the antithesis of pride. In church, God can be trusted. You may have experienced disappointments and letdowns and heartbreaks. God can be trusted. Don't let your trust get hijacked by your abilities, ambition, pride, anything else in the world. Lean into God like a child. And what you might need right now is not a restless struggle, but a calm confidence that God is with you. Just a calm confidence that God's here. I don't know about you in like your household, but there's times like, you know, Either me or my sibling is scared of the dark, you know? I was like, hey, parent, can you come in here? <laughs> and they don't have a weapon. They don't know self-defense. Didn't make the darkness go away, but there was, a, there was a peace in knowing that they were there. And there was a calm knowing that they are there. And I just want to let you know whatever you're going through, whatever you're thinking about for the future, put your hope in God. He's here. He's present. He loves you, and he wants you to know that he's here. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us.